To everyone who's dealt with the hassles of accessing healthcare and thought, it shouldn't have to be like this. You're right, it shouldn't. Partner MD is better healthcare for an even better you, much more than concierge medicine. Partner MD is healthcare the way it should be 24 7 access to care, virtually no waiting, and the one on one attention you need to help maintain your healthy lifestyle. Visit partnermd.com for pricing and more information. Ready for the interview, and if you get a cue live on a laptop, watch what I'm gonna do. Welcome to the show, let them know we got a point of view. Hey, yo, let's have a combo. Say what you feel, be real, that's the motto. Real talk, pronto, doctor, D, PhD, hit the intro. Hold up, wait, gotta be social, network, global, a home for the locals. Gotta be social, network, global, a home for the locals. Well, we're back again. This is like number 460 something. something. There's a lot of thought of talking. Annie, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. So we're going to dive into all about you, you know, and your amazing background. I mean, with Disney, right? You start with Disney? I did. Right. Let's jump into that. What's going on there? So when I was a young child, like many of us, I became obsessed with Disney. Um, yeah. I think you're referring to my career with Disney, but yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I got started with Disney at a very early age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so early on in my career, I was very fortunate. I had moved out to Hollywood um, after graduation because I wanted to be in the movie business. Um, and at that time, this was, I guess it was 2008. If you want to be in the movie business, you had to go to Los Angeles. So I did that and I did the um, Devil Wears Prada thing where I was working as the assistant to the assistant, like not quite even the, the assistant head honcho, right? Um, but I was very lucky that I, my second job out there was for the Walt Disney Studios, um, actually for Walt Disney Animation and then later mm -hmm. the Walt Disney Studios. So um, I kind of worked my way up as an assistant and then ended up on, in a job for their franchise management team, um, which with a company as big as Disney, not every company has a team like this, but basically their role became, and my role became to help create presentations to get the word out about upcoming films. So basically before marketing would touch it, we would need to have some sort of presentation that would take concept art and the screenplay and tell the story of a movie so that when our executives went to meetings around the world or they went to Comic-Con, they'd have something to say, hey, you know, two years from now, you're gonna love Maleficent with Angelina Jolie or the live action Cinderella starting Lily James. It was my job to write those presentations far before those movies were done. So what, okay, I, I definitely have a question based off of this. So what was different about Disney from what you thought it was gonna be based off of kind of your childhood idea of Disney? What was different? Um, I think it just became very real. You know, I, I like had sort of, I, for one, had never even, it didn't really enter my consciousness that I could work for Disney. Like that seemed, I don't know, it seemed like it was untouchable, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I obviously jumped at the opportunity to do so, but it just seemed larger than life, right? Being a lifelong Disney nerd and Disney fan, that's <laughs> like living, breathing. I think I had been to the parks like 10 times. Me too. You know, we, we, we went every year to World, Me Disney too. World. Um, <laughs> My dad was like, don't you want to go somewhere else? I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> I just, you know, it's like, have you seen the meme? That's like, where are you from? And it, you just show Walt Disney World, like the gate. Yeah. Like that's where I'm from. Um, so, you know, I had sort of built it up in my mind as this enormous brand and this 
magical thing. Like that's the thing I think there's no other company does like Disney is the magic, right? The Disney magic. And I just never, I think it was maybe like a humility thing of like, oh, I don't think I could ever like be part of the Disney magic. And I think it was surreal having gotten to work for them. I think it was humbling. I am definitely not going to come on and say like, oh, it was like the worst experience. Like it was actually an incredible experience. Um, I think it's definitely not a company that is spared the politics of being a corporate America juggernaut, right? Like I definitely had some toxic bosses. I had, I got laid off in my first role because the production I was on didn't move forward. There were, you know, some, a lot of bumps along the road, but I also learned a ton about myself, met people at the highest levels of this company who, you know, really, I had a really strong, meaningful interaction with, like even people who are still there, who are like presidents of production and things like that. Um, totally life-changing, totally taught me about who I am and what I want and getting up close and being what they call anybody who works for Disney is called a cast member. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the people who, you know, work at Magic Kingdom. I was a cast member. Um, so going, you know, especially going to the parks, you, you get like a card or you used to where you could go to the parks for free. And I would go like almost every weekend and I just felt a part of the magic. And I think, you know, even though I consciously left, which is its own story and a scary thing to have done, um, it was absolutely a dream job. It taught me so much about myself and, and about what I wanted and what I didn't want. And I think that's the other inference, the sort of insight that I got from working there is that as much as I love my bosses and really respect them, I didn't want their jobs. Like once I kind of got close to that and was like, I could finally see a trajectory because I got promoted and um, like I was an assistant manager and I'm writing, you know, pitch decks with that are going to be for Damon Lindelof and some of these big people like, wow, okay, I can see it. And then I'm looking around going, I don't want this life. Like, I don't want to live in some little house in Burbank and feel like I can't go be with my kids when I want to go do these fancy things. Like LA is a really tough place to raise a family and to own a home and to do some of these things I, I value. Right. Um, and I didn't feel like in my trajectory, I was going to be changing anyone's life. Um, you know, I was working on these big movies, but I wasn't making them. And so it was just this huge wake up call for me, like kind of getting the dream job that I thought I wanted. I realized it wasn't the dream life that I was looking for after all. You think that's a theme sometimes with work is that you believe you're getting one thing and then the reality is very different once you pull like the magic seems like it maybe came off you know, the glitter was like, well, you saw that the magic is work, right. And that there, these are real (laughs) people behind the scenes. Um, and I also really learned that the, you know, the people at the highest level, because I was like, I started as kind of the assistant coordinator to some of these major people. And then I was in rooms helping them write these pitch decks. And it's like, those people, like it sort of demystified it for me, but also made me feel like I don't have to be like the EVP of marketing at Disney to be happy. Like it was eye-opening for me to feel like, oh, they still have struggles too. There's no perfect thing. Uh, one of Actually, the person who helped me get my foot in the door at Disney, her name is Maggie Malone. And she's a very talented development exec. And she, I never forget it. I wrote about it in my first book, but she talked, she took myself and my husband to be Gus um, to dinner one night when we first got to LA. So this was, you know, over a decade ago. And she said, you know, be careful, basically, like don't idolize all this stuff because the the um the wall while the walls change that like the the walls don't change but the the problems just get sexier like that's what that was sort of the what she said to me like the that the problems 
just elevate, right? So it's like the problems are sexier, but they're still problems. Everybody's facing some sort of challenge. There's no such thing as career nirvana. And that was sort of the thing. I was like, I kind of got a sneak preview of like how awesome it would be to work, you know, beneath the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. And I was like, this is cool, but it's not what I want. Um, and that was kind of a scary thing to admit. Cause then I was like, well, what the heck do I want? <laughs> and I didn't have a good answer for that at the time. And I, I, I was just having a conversation about kind of the concept of what you discussed of kind of like the demystification of things. And I think when you get close to those levels of that hierarchy, you start witnessing something very different than what the show is put out there. Like I ran luxury gyms for a long time and you're around people with super high net worth. But when, when that's like your everyday life, the curtain comes off of it. And you're like, this is definitely not what other people think it is type of thing. And it could be nice, but in other ways you realize there's just, this just isn't as great as you think it is, you know? It's good, but there's, I think that's a lot well, of life. You kind of figure out what your goals are. Yeah. Yeah. You, you figure yeah. out who you are and what you want. And if you're brave enough, you take action or what I call give yourself permission to try, um, even when you don't know what is going to happen next. And I think that was the thing, like it, Disney is everything it claims to be, even at the highest sure. levels. But I think being able to see it eyes wide open and to see really what that life is like working at the California studio and going, this is the highest I can go with this. Yeah. I can keep on this path and just, just seeing it for what it is and being honest with yourself. Cause that, I think I was having a lot of dialogue, you know, a lot of inherited stories about what success is. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I left in 2013 and then five years later, I could look back on that whole experience. And I wrote a book. My first book is called permission to try. Mm -hmm. And it is a coffee conversation with me and anybody else you know, who is like that scared 27 year old that I was at the time who was like, okay, I don't think I want this anymore, but like, what the heck am I going to do? And what if I fail? And like, how can I quit not knowing what I'm going to do when I told everybody I was going to be this big success at Disney. And I just think many of us, especially now with the pandemic, you know, I wrote it before this all happened, but super relevant to today of sometimes you just have to give yourself permission to try something, even if yeah. you don't know how it's going to pan out. Is that that kind of though, like, you know, maybe I'm dating myself here, this Wizard of Oz moment that people, you know, maybe need to have is like, well, let me look inside myself or look inside another thing that I, you know, and see what the reality is. And do I want that reality? You know, I think that's a critical thing. And I think it's probably something we, you know, I wrote that book with the idea that I would come back to it myself. It's like a, it's like a pep talk for all these reasons yeah. why we don't try things and why we need to. Um, but yeah, I do think we all need that Wizard of Oz moment, probably several in our lives. <laughs> and, and I think that is the difference maker, right, Darian, that like being, being willing to step out of the motion, like the kind of current that we're always in yeah. of the next thing. Um, I don't know if you, are you aware of uh, Sean Acor? No. He's a psychologist. He, he studies happiness. And for those of you listening and, and for you, Darian, you may want to really enjoy his TED Talk which is called, I think it's called the, the happy secret to better work. Mm. And it's one, it's hilarious. I'm, I'm not a big Ted talk person, but yeah, hilarious. But he talks about this notion that so many of us are conditioned to push happiness over the cognitive horizon. Mm. So, so for example, like you work so hard to get this good job and you finally get the job. And what do you think the next day? I need a better job. <laughs> 
right? I got this good grade. What do I need? Mm. A better grade. You know, like we always do that to ourselves. We're not conditioned as a society, at least here in America to pause and like really enjoy the goals that we've reached or just enjoy the here and now and take stock of it. So that is something I've been the work of my thirties has been, you know, this, the twenties were the hustle and do what I inherited as stories of success. And now I think my thirties are about writing my own stories of success and what success and happiness truly are for me. I think you definitely learned that I'm in my mid forties. I'm 44 now. And, uh, I'm definitely living the life I want to be living that I always wanted to, but it's also because I'm not trying to scale my life either. I'm not trying to create this larger than life existence that keeps me on a wheel all the time. Like I want to play the guitar. I want to do my podcasts, you know, and set up, I have my other businesses set up where they're it's, it's, it's enough for me, but it's, and I still like to be ambitious, but I'm not looking for the next large leap all the time. It's like with podcasting, everybody wants to like, how we make it huge. I'm like, I'm just concerned about learning about stuff. I'm like, I don't want to like put this other stuff onto it. You know, like it's just, it's okay to have enough and not always reach for this huge thing you think it is supposed to be, you know, I have to check that out. So tell me about your kind of transition then as you started making this leap, like, okay, I'm going to do something else. What, what happened there? I think for me, it was, you know, I left in 2013, but a year before I got married. And I think for me, getting married was this transition into thinking about, like, I was so focused on getting married and that being the big milestone that once I, I got married to my husband, I was like, well, what about the rest of my life? And it sort of <laughs> just got, got, it got me thinking like, what does the rest of my life look like? And what mm-hmm. do I want? And that's when I started looking around going, I don't know if this is really what I want. Like it's, I'm finally things are starting to click and I'm like, Oh no, like, I don't think this is it. And so my husband and I started having conversations about, would we be crazy to leave LA? Cause similarly, he was on a path here, there as well. And I think through enough conversations of talking about like what our goals were and the freedom we wanted and that we couldn't have in Los Angeles, we ultimately came to the realization that we would be crazy not to leave. And we gave ourselves permission to try and kind of bet on ourselves. And this was, you know, before it was cool to pivot, like it was become <laughs> very it was cool, cool. <laughs> um, you know, and we've joked since then that honestly, if we had not made that choice in 2013, I think we would have made it in 2020 and not on of our own accord. I think we would have been laid off. I think we would be starting over in our thirties, possibly with a child and a mortgage in LA and like a mess. And so I'm really glad we did it on our own terms. No offense to anybody who's had to do that. That's clearly like a very tough journey. Um, So for me, it was this hunch of, could I start a business? Like, could I take what I was really good at, which was the writing and the design and the strategy uh, and make that into a business and like create a business around storytelling. So right when we moved home, I moved back to North Carolina where we had family and resources and things like that. And I started a business called Greatest Story Creative. And that's my business to this day. It's a branding agency and business coaching company. And I like to say that I help you brand, streamline, and grow your greatest business. So it's kind of like what you were saying about what is enough. There's a lot of this in business world of you got to market mm. everywhere. You got to be six figures, not seven figures. You got to have eight <laughs> figures. Like you're not even serious unless you're making eight figures in your sleep. It's like, but there's so many of us that, I think are happier because we've decided what our greatest lives are. And and for me, I work with a lot of coaches and consultants. What is your greatest business? What does that look like from a profitability standpoint? And like a life standpoint, like, 
you know, it doesn't, what good is it to make those seven figures if you work all the time and you hate what you do, right? So trying to find those balances. And so I do a lot of helping people write their marketing message and do their consistent visual branding and create a website. I also do business coaching to help people, you know, write that elevator pitch, get unstuck with a branding bottleneck, name your services, that kind of thing. The things that really hold us back from realizing what our greatest business could be and establishing ourselves as experts. Okay. I definitely have a question. What do you do when somebody comes to you with their story, what they believe their story is, but their actions don't align with that story? Oh, that's true. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky thing. And I know you've had guests on who talk about how like not every client is your ideal client. Yeah. yeah. Client. A lot of people um, fell and they were like, yeah, that's true, man. <laughs> it's super true. It's super true. Um, but I think that what I have found with clients who've worked with me, especially for when I do their messaging, I call it a brand voice guide. I have a very thorough exercise called the brand story questionnaire. And that gets people, I think, to have the most critical dialogue of all, which is the one with themselves. Where have you been? Where are you now? Where do you want your practice to go? What do other people say about you? That's a lot of people think their story is one thing. I, I can use myself as an example, but when they go through this process of the questionnaire and then I pull those things out and I write this client facing messaging for them, it's like, I've had people cry. Like I've had big grown men cry just hearing how their story finally makes sense and it's all in alignment you know i do think people are kind of off about their story because it makes sense we are this close to who we are yeah. and so it can take working with a professional writer like me or others who can see it and give a fresh perspective on it so so that is what i find is really the most valuable thing that you can get when you are not sure about those things. And I have absolutely seen people where there's this disconnect between what they think the story is and what it really is. Truly the spoiler alert is your story is what clients need to know about you to know, like, and trust you. Hmm. It is not a vanity exploration. <laughs> which Why do people think it becomes... is? Why do people think it's such, is it because you're taught that or that's what you see potentially out there? I think the marketing juggernaut, I think so much emphasis on influencer culture and this idea of content marketing 24 seven, you got to be online. One of the things I have in common with so many of my clients is that they all hate social media. <laughs> they hate social media. They don't want to be on it yet. They feel all this pressure to be on it. And I teach um, what I call the establish yourself framework. Uh, it's in a book, my second book, which just came out this year called establish yourself. And it is all about how to grow a business without living on social media. Yes. So it's this idea, right? Yes. Everyone's like, heck yes, that I talk to. I have done because, this. I have done this. Right. Totally. Right. So there's the disconnect between, there's just so much pressure in the marketing world to like create, 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 but they don't put a lot of emphasis on sell well, sell to your existing audience, take great care of your clients. Like that's what I teach is sort of the common sense stuff that would have worked without computers. <laughs> right? Like the stuff back and that's good common sense at any point. Like there, it's all so heavily focused on cultivating relationships with people who have no idea who you are, like ice cold connections where you have this whole world of people you don't even talk to. It's like, go pick up the phone, go reach out. <laughs> like, like I have a successful thriving six figure plus business because I invest in those relationships, not because I have 10 gazillion followers on Instagram. Like, and I'm cool with that. 
right? Like I love, I love my life that. and I don't live on social, uh, you know, that. there are ways to be consistent, but you don't, there, there are lots of ways, as I like to say, to cut the pizza on that. And <laughs> it's, it's just, I think people get kind of, I call it getting sucked into the tactic tornado. It's like one more thing. Here comes TikTok. It's another tactic. Like you're just getting up that tactic tornado. And sure enough, you're down the black hole and you don't even know what to do next because you have no results. I think, you know, in 400 plus conversations, every single person has said the same exact thing you have said. I hate social media. I do not want to do this. But then they tell this other story, which is I have to do it. And my thing to them is always like, you don't have to do it. Like, but you've been told you have to, but that does, but you, I'm not trying to get all weird about it. I'm just like, have some critical <laughs> thinking here. Like people well, sold, else could you do, right? People yeah. sold things without this before, like really well. It doesn't mean like this is the one way to do stuff. I, I'm a good example of that. I do the same thing you said. I've invested into all of my clients, long-term 14, 15 year clients. And I haven't had to sell. They sell for me. I'm like, right. I just took care of the people. Yeah, I took care of them. They love took you. care of me. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, yep. Instead of this crazy, ice cold, constant <laughs> yeah. cold calling thing, which is so annoying. A million emails, a ton of cold pitches. Like, gosh, who is teaching this stupid strategy of these emails? <laughs> like, I am reporting spam every single freaking day. Like, no, I don't want your SEO design traffic, whatever <laughs> thing that you think I might be interested in. I am not interested in it. Um, so I don't teach that. I teach very relatable common sense sort of stuff because that's what my clients want to do. That's what I like to do. It makes more sense to me. And it, the way it makes more sense to me is it feels like it's a better return on my time. Like social is just such a time suck. Um, especially if you're just not like the Instagram expert or whatever, yeah. like it's just a drain. Like I use it for fun. I have, I use tools like smarter Q to, uh, to batch stuff. So I work on my social media one or two times every one to two years where I just yeah. create a couple quotes and things like that. I have my assistant put them in the queue and I don't touch it. Like I show yeah. up, I'm there, but I'm really not there. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not living there. And that's been a really healthier thing. And then my business has succeeded like even more than when I was chasing those things. I, I mean, I did what we all did at the beginning, right? Like the couple, first couple of years you're doing what everyone's telling you to do yeah. a million different directions. And that is a, what I found for me, that that was a really poor return on my time and yeah. my resources. Yeah. It sounds like you're teaching people like, Hey, live the life. Did you really want to live, be authentic and to enjoy the other things you want to do in your life as well. Like you don't have to be uh, a servant to this wheel. And I think that yeah, a lot think, of people yeah. are servant to the wheel of it. And they think the more I post, the more I do. And even people who are good at like, say the influencer culture, how sustainable is that for a long term? Like that you constantly have to be creating. Like it's okay to That's just watch Netflix out. and hang out. Yeah. I mean, you know. it's exhausting. It's I think exhausting. That the hamster wheel is it, it looks exhausting. I'll tell you Definitely that. Definitely looks exhausting. I you know the yeah. <laughs> the business is called greatest story for a reason, greatest story creative, because I believe that your life is your greatest story and what you do with it. You every day you go out and you write another chapter of that read a story. Maybe it's a sentence, maybe it's a paragraph. I don't know what it is, right? But that's the whole point. Live with the intention. And same with the business is live with the intention. Like you're, I think we, you know, I've learned from a lot of other great coaches and, and folks who've taught me this, and I've now practiced it, that I think we've inherited these stories that work has to be hard and work has to be long. And if you're not working hard enough, if you're not working 60, 70, 80 hour yeah. weeks, and you know, 
the more that I have rolled back and really focused as dumb as it sounds sometimes or could try to work smarter, not harder, you know, I'm very strategic. And so my pet project for the past few years is how can I make more and work less? Yeah. How can I work better, enjoy it more? I'm like working 30 hours a week and I'm making more money than ever when I was working 55, 60 (laughs) hours a week. I was like, it's just, there's a strategy to it, right? Like you can do that, but you have to think about it. You have to know where your time is going. That's a huge one I see with coaches, consultants. They have no concept. They're like, it'll take me 10 minutes to write this presentation. And it's like 10 hours and they have no concept of the difference, right? And how much that's costing them, for example. Yeah. Wow. That, that's, that's so true, man. I think the less, you know, and I had uh, a good episode to listen to, I think, uh, that aligns, I think, with what you're talking about it was uh, Dr. Devin Price at Loyola, Loyola University. And her, um, their book is uh, Laziness is Not a Lie. I can't, from, I can't remember. I read it. It's really good. The la- uh, the, it's about basic that laziness is a lie and that you can't be productive all the time. And in fact, physiologically, humans need to have time to turn their brains off and to not be productive. It's all about not being productive all the time. And it's such a good book. It's like a permission book to like go and do other things you want to do. You don't have to be, you know, always online or always, you know, doing this or that. And I think we need to be told these things because we've just been told like, the CEO who works 90 hours a week is like amazing and don't, doesn't sleep. And I always thought this was so counterintuitive, especially for me being in the fitness field and health and wellness. I'm like, this makes no sense, actually. So well, you think you're just taught that there's no other way and that no you know, hard work yeah. is good work and hard work is <laughs> money. And, and I think letting go of those things and like just choosing, cho- picking and choosing what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. And yeah. I don't offer everything every branding agency does, but that has allowed me to really productize my services. And, you know, that, that helps me work, do them quicker and better and deliver better results for less time for me, charge more for them. And my clients like it more. It's yeah. a win, 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 win. Right. Now I'm curious about this, like, your experience working at Disney and then your current business, when you see, let's say movies or advertisements, trailers and all that stuff, do you have a different eye for that when you see that stuff than the kind of consumer who has not worked in that environment? I mean, I think so. You know, movies are my heart and soul and they've just been my love language for as long as I can remember. So movies is a tough one because it's like so a part of me before all this happened. Um, I definitely think, you know, my joke is you can take the girl out of Disney, but you can't take Disney out of the girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just a part of me. Um, I think in general, though, I'll say, you know, having become a real student of branding, I learned it at the highest levels of the Walt Disney Company about positioning and how you have to tell stories and you have to pick audiences. You don't just market to everybody with your whole mm-hmm. budget kind of thing. You I mean, you do and you don't, right? You actually okay. pick a key audience for a movie. A lot of people don't realize that even Disney picks an ideal client um, in, in those cases, but I, as have become really a student of branding. So when I'm out and about, and I see, you know, my joke is like, you know, seeing these ridiculous taglines on like realtor posts and stuff. So I just become this person that can kind of laser in on, you know, anywhere I am and somebody were to ask me, you know, what do you think of that? I can give insights on how to fix it, how to make it better. And, And typically what I'm trying to do when I'm saying fix it is so many people are being unclear. They're so worried about being so creative that they're mm. confusing the heck out of people they're trying to tell what they do. And so people are just going to go, 
I call it looking for applause and not action. Because um, uh, people end up getting this like, oh, wow, you're so great. Like they want this reaction from people. Yeah. But in my experience, reactions do not equal revenue. Mm. You don't want a big reaction. Did you, do you have a big reaction when I say I do branding? Like that's boring, you know? Yeah. But if tomorrow you meet a credit consultant who needs a new brand, who are you going to think of? Right. If I said, I'm a business storyteller, as I used yeah. to do, <laughs> it was a big mistake. Um, people go, wow, that's so cool. Let's talk about that. But you would never necessarily think of me for branding. Like that's yeah. that's the problem, um, as I experienced firsthand myself. <laughs> okay, that's different. That's definitely different. So reactions don't equal revenue. Why do we think differently than that? Generally speaking, I think it comes back to this. I think that the rise of social media and marketing guru world has said like you are the brand and you need to yeah. do all of these things, right? It's like conditioned <laughs> us. Um, and there's so much emphasis on standing out, right? Mm. Like that's one of the biggest things I hear. I want to stand out. I want to stand. who doesn't want to stand out, right? I, yeah. I need to stand out. I need to be unique. I need to be creative. I need to stand out. And my mantra has been, you need to worry less about standing out and focus more on understanding. Because mm. what good is it to stand out if people don't get how it connects to a need that, or problem that you have? Right. We're losing context by, we're surrendering context to creativity, in fact. Mm. I mean, there's a lot of knowledge there. <laughs> I mean, <there's> a lot <laughs> of nuggets of wisdom just popped through you, Annie. <laughs> like... Well, I, you have to keep in mind, I've spent like the last two years writing everything I believe in business into a framework process and a book. So I've, you know, I spent a little bit of time thinking through some of these really tough things that we all face in the world of especially solo entrepreneurship. I feel like this message is not widespread enough. Like what you're saying, why is this not spreading as much as maybe what I see in the other aspect, the opposite? I don't know. I it's not glamorous. It's because it's not glamorous. It's not okay, exciting. So like here's my real, here's my real thought on that. Um, what I, and I've been thinking about this lately a lot because I've been on podcasts and we've been talking about these issues and, um, and it, people are always like, this is so refreshing and nobody says this. And like, it's like, why isn't that coming to the surface? And I think here's the thing. I think that the people in marketing who are really killing it and making tons of money, like seven and eight figures, like the Amy Porterfield of the world, what are they selling? They're selling get rich quick. That's what it is. That's the people who get out there and they're selling these $7 templates, the $30, whatever classes, you know, they have all these different levels of working with them. You know, I, I love Rachel Rogers. I think what she's doing is incredible, but remember her message is more money, right? So I think anybody who is out there, of, you know, I mean, in her, you know, social justice work is incredible. Like go follow her stop listening to me, go follow her. But um, all that being said is that the world of coaching and inf information entrepreneurship, the people who are crushing it, I think generally financially, they're not people who have watercolor class memberships. They're people who are saying some version of, if you get stuff from me, you are going to get rich in the information entrepreneur space. Um, does, does my message have something to do with profitability and making money? Absolutely, right? I definitely does but it's not all about that. And it's not all of, it's really about building like what matters to you, your, your greatest business, your greatest life, passion and profit. And so it is not a solely or focused message yeah. that is all about making money. It's about making money that matters to you. And so, and it's not overnight, you know, that's the other piece of, yeah. the component of what I teach 
is, you know, it, it, Steve Jobs once said that, you know, if you look really closely, most overnight successes took a long time. Of course. And that's the other thing with, you know, well, let's say the Amy Porterfields of the world is like, they have enormous teams. They've been at this for a long time. They spend a lot of money advertising, you know, how much, how many dollars I spent on advertising zip yeah, same ever, here. ever. I think I spent $20 trying to market my book yeah. once on yeah. Kindle. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't, it's all organic. It's all strong. No, I don't have a seven or eight figure business. Like, yeah. yes, I would okay, love to make more money and I'm working on it, but I love my life. You know, I have the balance mm. that I want. I make my schedule. I, I value a lot of other things. The money is great too, right? Profitability on my time, but it's like, there are people who obsess, they make a million dollars in revenue, but they spend 990,000 making it. What good is that? What good is that? You don't, and no. you don't know, right? So no. I, that's my theory is that why it's so prevalent and what, what's so going on in this, in the, in the coaching industry that we're in is that it is all, it's the new age, get rich quick. Yeah. Like, you know, who doesn't want to get rich? Like who doesn't want more money to make their lives better? So if somebody's promising, I'm going to, and they've now equated, if you have 10,000 followers, that's $10,000, right? Like, you know, whatever that, <laughs> it's like, I always say like followers don't equal figures either. Reactions yeah. don't equal revenue. Followers don't equal figures. I've heard too many stories of people with hundreds of thousands of, you know, followers who make no money. Yeah. Who make I actually think that's more prevalent than what is being told. I really do. I don't really know this for a fact, but I feel like you just, you just feel it sometimes with how things are. Yep. And uh, I think we've just, we're always selling this mirage of money first all the time. Yeah. This is not an anti-capitalistic thing for me. I like making money. Please get, I like making money, but I don't like making money and it feels weird. Like, <laughs> yeah. like I, I don't know, like, it's just like, there's like, I just- Well, if it's all just you're like, selling is how to make more money. I know, like, it just seems inauthentic to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and the, the whole, the game that I, I felt like, I felt very defeated. You know, yeah. the thing, I had a big needle moving moment in my business and I was- three years into my business in 2016. And I was really burning out on what all these gurus were saying about all this stuff. Cause basically their, their strategy boiled down is you get a big enough list, you get enough followers, let's say 10,000, 20,000 that you then have that two, one to two, 3% of your list will buy basically anything you sell. Uh -huh. So it's a numbers game. So yeah. they don't care if they burn out 19,000 people to get the, you know, 50, right. 100 buying whatever they want. That's it, what it is. That's what most of these people are doing is that they're building such large audiences. And they're putting so much money into that, that they can sell at that really small conversion rate of one to 2%. And then they're teaching that strategy down the line. Yeah. I felt like I tried to get all these followers and I was just so burning out and it wasn't working. And I was like, is this just not for me? Like, can I just not make this work? Like, ser I seriously considered quitting my job yeah. um, or quitting, going back to like a traditional career. And um, cause I, it's not like I lost faith in myself, but I felt like the market wasn't supporting what I wanted to do. I was like, this just doesn't work. This is just way too an uphill climb. Like, how am I going to get 20,000, 30,000 people yeah. just to sell to this small fraction of people? And so I, I confronted a big limiting belief in my business at the time, which was, I hated selling. And so I knew that that was holding me back uh, and I wasn't confident as the expert and I invested in a coach when I thought coaching was kind of bupkis uh, and she <laughs> changed my mind. Uh, let's face it to say, I tell the introduction, this is the introduction to my book where I tell the story about how she, um, it's like I had the key in the lock and she helped me turn it. 
And she just helped me to, she helped me find permission to be in business as myself to say, I don't have to do all that. I can do it a different way. I can do what makes common sense, straightforward sense to me. And then I've been doing what you've been saying, what you do, which is really focus on making the best possible business. I call yeah. it, uh, instead of fixating on frosting, baking the best possible cupcake. Yeah. So I focus a lot on like the quality of the cake, right? Cause you can have a cupcake without frosting but you can't have a cupcake that is all frosting which is what yeah. everybody's teaching, right? So I worry less about the frosting and sure enough, like over, like almost overnight like I was, uh, you know, not quite overnight but right. It yeah. felt like that, right? Uh, you know, yeah. flooded with interest and growing and then shortly after a couple of years later came six figures and beyond and you know, all the things that, that I wanted that were real goals for me. And, but they came because I was willing to say marketing juggernaut is not for me. I've got to find a different way. through. This yeah. Path. I mean, most good things really take a lot of time and, yeah. and often, you know, things are happening underneath the, underneath the time you're doing, but it's, it feels like, well, you know, not much is happening, but things are, but it's just, you know, digging in. And I think that's really important. Like for me, every conversation I have with someone like you, it's just, it's helping me become better. And, and hopefully the other person gets to tell their story and talk, and then we create a relationship. And I can't tell you how many times those things come back in a weird way over time. Yeah. You know, some situation five, six years from now, oh, Annie, I had that conversation with Annie, you know, like, you just never know. I like to invest in that, that never, I never know aspect. I know it's not sexy though, because you That's want that, it's not you want that return on investment. Now I talk to you, help me out type of thing. I don't know the best That's part not is, relationship building. It's not yeah. relationship building at all, you know? And people do not realize like the people I work with who don't understand social media. I'm like, Y'all like the things you see on social are happening because of relationships. Yeah. They don't happen because of clicking. They happen because somebody talked to somebody in a zoom call or an Instagram DM or an email, they are working out, they're working out collaborations behind the scenes that you don't see. Yeah. They don't talk about this stuff <laughs> yeah. as much. Right. But everything happens because of relationships. And when That's people right. come to me and they're complaining that they don't have enough clients, I'm like, how many people are you talking to about what you do? Like how many people in your network even know what you do? You're going to pick up a ton of clients just by telling people. And I like, can't even tell you how many clients that would rather hide behind the, even though they say they hate social media, they'd rather post things on social media than do one simple exercise. Then I said, write them an email that says, Hey, how are you? I wanted to let you know, I was doing this. If you know anybody who may need me, yeah. here's a link. I have to beg some clients to do this work. <laughs> like, please send this to 10 people, you know, 20 people you know, here. It's a free tip for today, but it's like the p amount of people who won't do that, but then we'll spend a year buying courses and hiding yeah. and trying to do social media tactics. It's like old fashioned, like most of your business, especially at the beginning can come right from the people you already know if they know what you're doing, <laughs> so but you're not, you're expecting them to read your mind. <laughs> They're busy people. Send them, you're not going to bother them. Like yes. if you have something valuable, you don't have to be pushy, like, but they, people want to help and they want to know how you are. Like, please tell them. I bet I call it, uh, uh, in my book, there's an, a checklist called, do they know what I know? So even when you're in your business, I encourage you to print this out and like every couple of months, be like, wait, 
have I told like everybody in my network that I have this new program or this new lead magnet or whatever it is, right? So it keeps you accountable because often there's so much opportunity hanging out in your network because people go, oh gosh, I wish that I knew you were doing this. I just hired a coach last week, right? Like you need to be ahead of that. And it's pretty simple if you keep it. Really it really is. It really is. Even like, I, I love doing series. So it's kind of funny, like you worked on all these stories and pitches and I consider my podcast kind of a storytelling aspect because mm -hmm. I do a series also. So like I'm doing one on, called The Frontline of Fitness and it's all about like fitness as healthcare. And I was like, I'm just going to tag all the people I know in fitness. And you know what they say? I'm so glad you included me on this. I want to listen to this just yep. by just telling them that I'm doing it because they're not going to find they're it generally afraid of that. They're terrified, terrified. I'm yeah. like, just tag, I'm terrified just of visibility. There's almost, yeah. I think sometimes a fear of success. I think people sometimes hide a little bit because they're afraid mm. of the spotlight. They're afraid mm. to kind of be judged. They're afraid. And I think for me, I understand that because early on in my business, because I didn't have this like traditional branding person background, I was like, I'm this imposter, right? Like I'm like not an expert and I'm not super valuable. And so I was showing up to my, you know, sales calls, like not confident. Right. And I wasn't owning what value I had to give. And, and once I kind of flipped that script, everything changed because it was showing up and being able to own your stories, um, which I think is, you know, attributed to Brene Brown talking about like owning our story is the bravest yeah. thing we'll ever do. Um, and I think that that is, it, it has, at least in my life has been so critically important. Man, this is just like, this is better than I even thought it was going to be. <laughs> oh thanks and i thought it was going to be good i know i always think they're all going to be good i have like this optimism of every podcast i do but like this is like this is like just boom fire here's another one boom fire here's another one it's just like you're so full of wisdom and knowledge annie you really are oh thank you it's many hours and, and not enough naps how about that not enough <laughs> not nearly enough naps. so where are you heading from here what's the where do you see your life? What's your next story? Yeah, I'm like very guilty of this. I don't know if you are, but I tend to be the builder. Like I tend to always, I, if I, if my build, my business is a pyramid, my life is a pyramid. I'm always looking up. Yeah. I'm almost never looking down and yeah. I need to work more on looking down and just kind of sitting and enjoying the view. I'm really bad about that. But part of, part of what excites me is the next thing, you know, and I, and, and I'm really embracing both in my life and business, this notion of like, follow the fun and find more fun, you know, fun has really become an attribute of my brand and yes. who I am. And, and so we're now that I've kind of mastered, you know, work less and make more, I'm like, well, how can I introduce more fun into my business? How mm -hmm. can I enjoy it more? So I don't burn out. And so my next thing is, uh, you know, I love that the book is out. I'm so grateful for that. And, um, now that that's there, I'm like, you know, something I want to accomplish every year is I want my business to take me to Disney every year. That's awesome. And so, so my vision, and I'm working on this right now, is to host an annual retreat for a handful of business owners and take them to help them find more magic and fun in their business. So uh, we're looking at doing like a, a couple night Disney cruise um, to see how Disney does it best and, and so on brand for me. And I get to go on a Disney cruise. I'm like, how, how could this not be the best idea I've ever had? That might need, I might need to be a part of that. I mean, I, I grew up on Disney hardcore. Like, it's funny because we didn't know this about each other, but like my dad is a huge Disney person. Like we went every year I was growing up. And then at one point we lived in Richmond Hill, Georgia, which mm -hmm. is only like two or three hours from Disney, Disney World. 
And so we would go like four or five times in a summer. Oh, you know um, it. We could like nerd out. Like, I think we're going to do like a VIP dinner the night before at yeah. Disney World. And like, it's going to be like, I'm already planning to do like commemorative pins, like the yeah. pin trading. Let me know about like, it. Seriously. I, uh, you guys, this is how relationships get built. No, it's right? true. <laughs> I I'm, I'm have a yeah. huge, I mean, I, I have taken my family several times at Disney World. I think we're going in um, spring break in 2023. Cool. Yeah. Like, but it's it's such a big, it's, oh, it's been such a huge part of my life. So mm -hmm. please keep me informed. I want I'm to gladly. be informed about. you. Will, well, this is the funny thing, Darian. It's like, I literally just have been going around because people are like, what are you doing next? And I'm like, I think I'm doing this Disney retreat. And people are like, I'm in. And I'm like, you have heard nothing about it. <laughs> like, I am in. You said business retreat at Disney. I'm like, okay, like we might have a capacity issue. We're going to work, yeah, we'll see, you know, yeah. at the final analysis, but I will absolutely back to you, but I am just really, that's the kind of idea I love because it's going to help. It's going to be transformative for the people who go. It's going to be transformative for me. It's going to bring more joy into what I do. Yeah. And it's just so on brand. Like that's what you want, you know? And it has, did I say anything to do with like, I'm doing a webinar, I'm doing social <laughs> media, like Honestly, and I may probably sell all the spots just by emailing. Like I'm actually thinking I might even do yeah. the sales page and the this and that because it's, we probably can't take that many people just because yeah. of spaces and stuff. So, you know, it may just be a, hey, Darian, you want in? Like, cool, yeah. I pre-sold like all the seats and we're yeah. going. And and now it's so great. People are like, what, you went on a cruise with Danny? I want to go next time. So it just, yeah. you know, it kind of takes on a magical life of its own. Um, so good. I mean, I am so grateful for the introduction to you from Kara. I mean, yes, isn't thank that you, Kara life, Sandoval. right? Yes. I mean, Kara's awesome. You know, a great thing about Kara, I met Kara and she was on my podcast and then I had such a great feeling about her. I was like, we should do something together. And we started a business together, which is hilarious. <laughs> that's so Kara though. Like, right. And then we just started partner. doing it. And, and then, uh, and then she's like, oh, you got to talk to Annie. You got to talk to Annie, you know, I'm like, and it's not like she refers a lot of people to me for the podcast, very few, but she had a strong feeling about That's you. Cool. She was insistent that I talk to you. I mean, what a pleasure. What a joy for that. Yes. Thank, Thank you so much. My pleasure. It's been great to get to know you a little bit. And I think it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship. There you I go. I think so. I definitely yeah. think so. Uh, please tell all the beautiful people how they can connect with you, your book, the whole deal. Absolutely. So we talked today about a couple things. So I am the author of two books. If you are thinking about changing your life and you need a pep talk, check out Permission to Try, which you can find at permissiontotry.com. My second book, which came out this year, is called Establish Yourself, Brand, Streamline, and Grow Your Greatest Business. You can find it at howtoestablishyourself.com. And if you want to connect with me about branding or business coaching, or maybe even that Disney retreat, you can reach me at greateststorycreative.com. And this was a great story. Awesome. Thank you so much, Annie, and uh, be in touch. Thanks, Darren. The Health Profession Scholarship Program from the U.S. Army Healthcare Team can offer full tuition for med students. That's the Army difference. Learn more at GoArmy.com slash tuition paid. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. 
With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22.